Hi there, it's a welcome from Alison and Nav to Women Build Podcasts. This is the first of a series of Women Build Podcasts. And in the next 20 minutes, we're going to talk to Maggie Mullen, principal at her practice in Liverpool, about what success looks like for women in architecture, whether women have a more practical approach to design, ask, are we seeing a growth in women-led practices? And finally, some key advice for those starting their architectural career. We're also going to fill you in on why we've decided this is the right time to launch the Female Frontiers Powered by WAN Awards. With this podcast series, we're aiming to give women in architecture a voice. We want to find out about the issues that they're facing and compare their experiences to decipher what changes can be made to improve women's current working environments. Throughout the podcast series, we're going to be speaking to architects from all around the world, and they're going to tell us their stories from where they are, what they have learned throughout their careers, and highlight some of their amazing projects. We want these awards to recognise the remarkable, talented and visionary women of all ages. There really are some inspirational figures out there and they're operating at all levels of industry. So it's important that we see what these women are doing. We want to champion that best practice that we're seeing and also support that new emerging talent. It's not easy at the moment. We're living in a pandemic, but we wanted to be able to offer women an awards scheme that actually answers their needs. It will champion in what they're doing. It will examine the work that they have underway. WAN's extensive reach will mean that entries will be seen by a truly global audience. Your work will be reviewed by an international expert judging panel. Entries for these awards are going to be open until the 4th of December and winners will be announced at the award ceremony in April 2021. So if you believe you're one of the outstanding women we're looking for, know somebody who is, or if you are actively pushing to diversify the industry, these awards are for you. All of the details can be found at our website, worldarchitecturenews.com. One of our interesting stats we were looking at just yesterday was that since January the 1st this year, we've actually been looked at by 221 different countries. So it is the global reach we're talking about. The other thing is, of course, very interestingly, is people are having a pandemic now. So... We need to open these windows. I know Nav and I are very keen to make sure that people have these opportunities to showcase their work. And I think with these awards, we do really give people an opportunity to shine. So thanks for taking the time to listen today. Nav and I are really keen for people to get involved. Get in touch with us for feedback, good or bad. And let us know how we can make this podcast work for you. Email is the best way to reach us, so please aim all your comments at waneditorial at haymarket.com. So now I'd like to welcome Maggie. Maggie Marlon is one of the judges on WAN's Female Frontier Awards. She set her own practice up six years ago and works with a wide-ranging client base, including universities, churches and charitable organisations. Most recently, Maggie's been working with LIPA, Liverpool's Institute for Performing Arts, on a £3.6 million project in the city's Georgian Quarter. This work's involved master planning the historic estate, creating new spaces to future-proof its use and support the delivery of new specialist courses. She was also the first female president of Liverpool's Architectural Society. So welcome, Maggie. We know there are inspirational women in the global architecture arena and they're operating at all levels in this industry. We want this podcast to make sure that we find out more about the challenges women face today, what's important to them and how they identify success. 
So I think that leads us on possibly to the first question. Do you think women architects have a different approach to architecture as against men? Hi, Alison. Thank you. This is an interesting question because it was a question that was posed to me just after the birth of my son when I was taking part in Women's Art with Jenny Murray. And the question was, would there have been tar blocks if more women had been involved in the design process at that juncture? And at that stage, I had been a senior architect in quite a big national practice. And it was a major wrench for me to take the five months, six months off with my son. And I was very conscious of the time I was losing, not in a life style, you know, but it was about the time I was losing in my career. And I posed the question back that, you know, perhaps the manifestation, the architectural manifestation of tar blocks may have been the same, but the brief would have been different. And that's still something I hold that women do, in my opinion, approach architecture in a slightly different way if led to their own devices. Architectural education has a lot to answer for. I've been an external examiner and the weight put on design per se as being the aesthetic manifestation of our profession is too significant, whereas the problem-solving aspects, which I believe women are maybe more in tune with just simply because of the multiple roles they play not just in society, but in their lives. And hence, yeah, I do think that depending on where women get involved in, in the architectural process, that they can add value and they certainly do approach briefing and the development and resolution of briefing differently. And that's not necessarily meaning better, but differently than their male counterparts. Would you say they have a more practical approach, more sort of answering to a female approach, perhaps? I wouldn't diminish. I mean, that's one aspect of it. I think it's multi-layered, you know, and I still lament at my age that uh, having brought two children up on my own for the past 12 years, that the biggest sort of pup that we were sold in the 80s was that women could have everything, which basically meant women can do everything and will end up doing everything. I suspect that women can apply a multi-layered approach to brief resolution. So not necessarily the one track pony that we are much more nurturing and empathetic and caring and much more practical. I think we consider a multitude of consequence and we hold those aspects as we do with many aspects in our daily lives and approach our problem resolution in an optimal way with all of those factors engaged. If so, is that being looked at by education establishments and architecture firms sort of playing in some ways to that strength? I still believe that there is too much of a divide between education and practice. And hence, the actual distillation of architectural education has become too rarefied. And hence, it, it becomes the elephant in the room. Would, would somebody question you know, the practicalities of a space or the sustainability of a space over the rarefied aesthetic development? As a woman, I think it would be fair to say that women have perhaps more disjointed careers. They do have to stop. They do need to often care as well as working. What do you think a woman would define as success within her architectural career? Is it the quality of buildings? Is it the quantity? Is it salary? Is it the ability to be allowed to work on a broad range of projects? How would you think sort of success now would be termed? 
fundamentally, and I think it holds now as much as ever, it's respect and wherever that sits in the hierarchy. And, and you've said you're, you're absolutely right. I think going back, you know, just women, I think more men are becoming carers now. And, and I think fundamentally we're caring up and down the generational scale. And as I said, I've had points in my life where literally I've had to hit the ground running. So you look at the resources you've got and you think, how do I maximize these? And that's one trigger. And I think a lot of people will find themselves both male and female in that situation now, not least because, you know, their client base has changed, their working structures based societies changed, the requirements, as you've said, for safety, for future proofing, for a, perhaps a much more empathetic approach. So that's certainly a trigger. With everything you've said, what would you say was your most successful project and why? How would you define it? Probably LIPA, which is Liverpool Institute of Performing Arts, which is the project I've just finished. And I was talking to the client a couple of weeks ago. We've just handed over and we're doing some little bits and pieces. And and I was explaining how important it is for that alignment of architect or consultant team client and contractor and we all know that triumvirate so is so critical and everybody's pulled in the same direction and again going back to respect and trust which is one of my key drivers what i was given as i was given a set of program challenges pragmatic challenges about space requirements about performance requirements and i was a bit like the biblical thing you know there's your six talents you go away and you resolve this for us you've got two and a half years to deliver this amount of project you pull the team together you lead the process you problem solve and when you're bodied with that level of trust and responsibility and respond and deliver and it exceeds your client's requirements you know it doesn't necessarily mean that it will you know it's not about winning awards I was always heartened by the part of Lavalette Bernard Schumi who said that what he effectively did is he created success on many levels so he resolved the pragmatic response of creating a park with a series of service facilities in it he dealt with the architectural manifestation the beauty of the actual pavilions in the park itself he dealt with the philosophical end of it and the, the architectural critique sound of it. So architecture shouldn't be mutually exclusive. And my drivers have been to establish and earn and develop the trust and respect of my clients and my peers by delivering in the whole, using everything I had in my gambit and leading that process. And I think that's very important for women to see a woman in that process, top of the food chain, if you want to have it, the person who's pulling the team together, the person who's setting procurement standards, the person who's liaising and, and planning design and construction like a military strategy. That is something that I think as women, you know, given half the chance, we will do. Okay. Do you think um, there are more female-led practices now? Are they growing? Well, I do hope so. And I am seeing that happen. And at least uh, say that our client base, you know, is, is responding more to those skills and talents and approaches that women led and female practices bring. And I think that is a timing and is a critical mass. And, you know, I've often said that I led business development in, in the last firm I was in, you know, I planned marketing strategies, I delivered some major projects, and my little black book was very much of its time then. And all that's happening is that those architects who've come up through female and male have come up through, you know, the sort of learning curve of profession. With them, they have brought their clients and women and men who have interfaced with a different approach have taken those into their success and grown in parallel. And I think that's what we're seeing now is we're seeing firms that are setting up on their own because their client base has grown with them. 
I mean, this position that we're currently in has completely rewritten the metric with which we view, you know, being productive. One of the reasons I set up on my own, and one of the reasons that that I've led a, a primarily and has been female-led practice, is that one of the things I didn't want to do, and it sounds very prosaic, is I didn't want to be in a supportive practice that when you went to pick your children up at half past three, whether male or female, most of your contemporaries and most of your colleagues looked at their watches in some sort of silent judgment. And I think this whole COVID pandemic situation has meant that we've got to widen our bases of trust and productivity, which is obviously another question, but this has been feisted on us and we've had to find a way of being productive. But this, I believe, will fundamentally shift the parameters of presenteeism and that, and that sort of sense that, you know, in the collective, can we can we actually exist and be successful as, as a series of individuals in a federation and therefore form our own way of working that isn't predicated on one being in the office from nine to five and two, taking that preordained route that something has to look in a certain way and, and that design is, is top priority for any degree of architectural success. Would you think that COVID is going to encourage as people are working possibly more from home and have a more flexible approach? And it's been proved, I think, that production is not falling within the creative industries. People have adapted and will continue to adapt. So in some ways, COVID might give permission to people to have a more fluid structure during the day and thereby encourage different working patterns and support them. I do hope so, Alison, and I do hope so for a number of reasons, not least that we've got an ageing population. So, you know, we're not just necessarily looking at the mothering and fathering end, you know, small children. I mean, my children are, are teenagers and my daughter's was diagnosed with ASD four years ago and quite a mild ASD, but they need me more now than they did whenever they were three or four. I was one of the founding members of Professional Liverpool here. And for 10, 12 years, I forewent breakfast meetings because I couldn't do them. And hence, you know, I lost the continuity with that, which I much lament. I, you know, and people will say to me, come to B and I come to that. I can't do those because I am on the school run. Now, there has to be a shift with that type of networking, there also has to be a shift and there still is a bit of a bastion of the golf club scenario. When I was president of Liverpool Architecture Society and dinners were hosted in the male only sort of drinking club and I was being quite heavily sort of lobbied to move the location. And I believed in picking my fights. And, and, and I thought to having a female president is enough of a change, you know, without shifting everything across. And there are people that, you know, they, they like this for a whole manner of reason. I'm not endorsing it by any means. But if you establish a critical mass of an alternative and there is choice and that critical mass becomes not necessarily the norm, but significant proportion of work is generated through that alternative, then we have redressed the balance. What I wouldn't do, and I think from my experience, I've been a qualified architect now for for 26 years, heading on the immovable object, use positivity, use the creativity, create an alternative, create an alternative that has sufficient critical mass and momentum in its own right. Acknowledge that there will always be a percentage of people who will default back to the norm, but give a choice, give an alternative. And again, that comes down to the structure of way meetings, you know, breakfast meetings, which are meant to, again, establish you know, people go in and have the breakfast meeting, and then they go in and do their nine to five. That doesn't work for anybody. It doesn't work for anybody, you know, whether you want to keep fit, whether you want to, you know, avoid the daily commute. You know, they're just looking and creating an alternative and having a voice for the alternative and having a critical mass of that alternative. So given what we've talked about, what would be your advice to a young female architect today? What would you suggest 
they aim for, they learn and they are aware of to further their career. I mean, I would say this to young architects, irrespective of gender. I'd say get involved in your local community, get involved in charitable organisations, get involved in your profession, get a wider sense of perspective as to how other professions and how other sectors and industry are operating in this and gather information and gather intelligence in that way. That will help you keep a perspective It will help you be able to inform what you're doing. And if you're in the right practice and in the right industry, then they will celebrate that level of exposure and level of information gathering and experience. So Maggie, one of the categories for the Female Frontiers Awards was the pioneering category, which seeks to reward an individual or practice that is committed to making the industry more diverse. As a member of the advisory board for these awards, why do you think this category is so important? It's absolutely crucial that we give a voice to those individuals that have opened doors, who've created alternative paths or created alternative routes, not just for themselves, but for others behind them and in the future. And as a judge, what sort of entries are you expecting to see? It would be really good to see a range, not just of practitioners, but also of clients, people who have come up through very male-dominated professions, people who've succeeded, in, as, as I said with Alison, in industries where not necessarily physiologically, but you know, sort of there have been restrictions on expanding the workforce, expanding opportunities for women. But not only have they done it for themselves, they have done it you know, for those behind them that they have opened doors, that they've created a new route and also they've created a new metric for their own success. So the, you know, what they've actually done is they've achieved a new working method. They've achieved a critical mass of people around them. They've given those people a voice and they've created new role models. Yeah, that's what we need. And I think, you know, very simple options like, you know, you suggested get involved with the local community, charitable trust and things. I don't know that that necessarily is somebody's go to when they're thinking about careers and how to progress. So I think that's all very sensible, wise advice. So that point and the time of meetings, I think that's really critical. The fact that I agree with you, the golf club probably is quite a key point in people's lives. And the growth that I know that Nav and I are seeing, we're seeing a lot more information come in now from female-led projects, female-led practices. So I do really feel COVID will perhaps engender more support for that kind of empathetic, caring growth within architecture, obviously, as well as the wonderful aesthetics that we see in these buildings. So thank you for your time. Look forward to catching up with you over the awards, no doubt. No, no, it's been a pleasure. And thank you for inviting me. It's been it's been a delight. And I'm, I say I'm always keen to be an advocate. This was a Woman Build podcast brought to you by World Architecture News. If you've enjoyed listening, please subscribe. We're available on Spotify, iTunes and Google Podcast. Thank you.